0: good morning once again uh i'm chris one of the pastors here at fellowship and we welcome everyone out this morning and um we're continuing in um the book of matthew chapter 5. if you have a bible near you or someone beside you has one or you have an electronic version or whatever you may have um, just open it up and we'll just go through um a quick recap of the first seven verses of matthew chapter 5. It's a Sermon on the Mount, and we're getting into the Beatitudes again this morning. Um, So verse 1, we read, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're just going to end there because that's where we're going to unpack further uh, this morning. Um, so I wanted to do just a quick recap of um, where we've been, and it's more for my benefit maybe than yours, but maybe it'll help you out too. Uh, the first four Beatitudes uh, up until last Sunday, um, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, w- um, which we just read, were recently, un- um, sorry, that we recently unpacked, were They're verses that describe the inner characteristics of the heart and the mind of those who are now genuine followers of Christ. They reveal the new reality that such followers of Christ will now experience with new desires and new attitudes. They describe people who are new creations and who now live new lives in total dependence on God. They describe how we relate to our God and our Savior. The next four Beatitudes, the first of which will be today's verse, verse seven, The next four Beatitudes that follow describe outward characteristics or manifestations of the first four heart attitudes and will help explain how we relate to others as new creations in Christ as opposed to how we relate to God in the first four. Uh, We need to keep in mind that in the days when Matthew lived and traveled with Jesus, the religious leadership consisting of the scribes and the Pharisees who ruled over them were merciless in their demands. Not only was everyone expected to keep the Ten Commandments as you would expect, but additionally were to observe the hundreds, I think 600 plus, rules and regulations that they they had added to the law. These scribes and Pharisees were self-righteous in the extreme and refused the mercy and righteousness which comes by faith. As the example of their forefather Abraham had actually demonstrated, and they seemed to have simply ignored, uh, they instead preferred to uh, they instead preferred the self-righteousness that came through their displays of works. And they like to stand in the squares and in front of the people and pray out loud and wear um, elegant robes and do all kinds of things uh, to show off their righteousness, their self-righteousness. So, if we're honest, um, don't we have all the same inclinations? Um, And practices before we experience God's saving grace and redemption those of us who are believers Um, today we're looking at the first outward manifestation of a redeemed heart towards others Matthew 5 7 is very concise yet an important reminder of the many Old Testament scriptures which provide valuable insight into God's character and how a right relationship with him has profound implications on our relationship with other people in verse 7 Jesus said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy And if we recall the first beatitude in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, it actually introduces those individuals described in the next few verses who now uncharacteristically mourn over their sin, show meekness and hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this is without question not considered normal behavior in our world and definitely not looked upon in our society with favor or respect. Those who have been made aware of their need of mercy from God are now intentionally behaving in ways that demonstrate true care and concern, and they go about showing mercy to others in ways that often defy understanding from those who knew them before so well, um, before they committed their lives to follow and serve Jesus Christ. I like how J.B. Phillips, in his translation of this verse, says, Spiritually prosperous are those who are merciful because they themselves shall be objects of mercy and by the way this is no way referring to being prosperous in the way that the proponents of the prosperity gospel uh, do instead prosperous or blessed is a state bestowed by god and is not a feeling or reward uh, from god for good obedience or material or monetary abundance because of your decision to follow christ As I studied this past week, I was trying to recall how often the word mercy is used in everyday speech. I don't know if you guys have ever, never really struck me until I got into this. Um, uh, I couldn't come up with uh, very many tangible ways in which mercy is used nowadays in in speech. Occasionally when we run into trouble, we may ask someone to have mercy on us, especially if it's going to cost us a lot of money, and the other person is in control of how, how bad the damage will be to our wallets or our bank accounts. And um, please have mercy on me, Um, lower the cost, whatever the case may be. Uh, Maybe we hear of a court case where the judge has mercy on the guilty and reduces her sentence, but it's assuredly um, not regarded as an overly positive uh, display of character to exercise in our society, at least these days. Um, And although it uh, ironically, it becomes acceptable when you're on the receiving end, and you're the one who desperately needs an act of mercy, then it becomes acceptable all, all of a sudden, right? Um, and interestingly, mercy is seen in the Bible from the beginning, from the very beginning, from the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis right through to the return of Christ in Revelation. Mercy here in verse 7 speaks of being compassionate and benevolent in thought and action towards others with the intention of relieving misery and suffering with meeting needs and with alleviating distress. Such acts of mercy are performed as a result of the work of the indwelling spirit of Christ in his followers. Of course, such acts of mercy can and often are performed by those who don't follow him. That's pretty obvious, but um, showing compassion towards others by anyone is commendable, yet it is not honoring god and does nothing towards redemption or forgiveness for the person acting compassionately or the person receiving the compassion mercy is a critical need of every human being it is a desperately needed gift of god's providence and redemptive work on behalf of sinners but you wouldn't come to that conclusion quickly if you took a brief look around you and surveyed the world we inhabit mercy if it exists at all is close to the surface often has strings attached, is selective in its application, and your enemies definitely don't deserve it. The current debates in politics, social issues, worldview disagreements, etc., that we're hearing about all the time now, especially in the news, are clear evidence of a largely merciless society. It doesn't take an extensive survey of the history of humanity right up until our present day to see the prevalence of pride, self-righteousness, and the judgmental attitudes that dominate every aspect of our culture as evidence in the news, the workplace, and the internet. Like, yikes, like the internet is, you all know, we spend spending a lot of time on the internet. If you just read the comment section alone of any blog or news article or YouTube video or podcast, it's pretty horrific. Um, if you want evidence that people are good by nature and not inclined to sin, you won't find legitimate evidence in any of these places. Sometimes people will give kind words, but the vast majority of them are just brutal in their comments and, and in their attitudes and and um, so uh, sorry losing my place here <laughs> it's pretty depressing yeah. indictment of humanity um, and our current culture and our society in general as I just described mercy is usually conditional in our world it may be given if it is shown first but is typically viewed Negatively and as a sign of supreme weakness, if you show someone mercy, it is very likely that they will not reciprocate with mercy for fear of being seen as pathetic or fragile. Think of how many movies and television series portray characters that are proud of the fact that they don't show mercy. Think of Professor Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes series, and think of Thanos, who was so merciless in the Marvel series, and if you remember the recent Avengers Endgame, uh, he was Pretty brutally wanted to eliminate half the population of the universe it seems and um, so showing mercy is for the weak it's for the losers and a lack of it is sometimes used to justify terrible outcomes in the name of doing the greater good if that thinking isn't horribly wrong and clear evidence of the sinful inclinations of the human heart then one's reference point for what is truly good and righteous and holy is illogical at best But the true merciful actually show characteristics such as courage, discipline, firmness, self-control. They act with selflessness, love, sacrifice, kindness, and heartfelt concern. Um, When Matthew wrote his gospel, this was evident in the extreme. As one commentator noted, the following three examples are of a merciless Roman society in which... um, Matthew lived at that time. In in Roman society, fathers actually had the authority and power to determine the fate of their newborn children by simply giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down for any reason whatsoever. A thumbs up was acceptance that the baby lived, but a thumbs down was an abrupt judgment of death and the child was immediately drowned for no apparent reason just because they didn't want the child or didn't like the way the child looked or something like that. Um, Another example was... And Roman Roman citizens who owned slaves could kill them at any time for any reason. If they were in a bad mood, they could just kill their slave and bury them in their field and with no concern of being arrested or judged in any way. Um, And the third example was that husbands could even have their wives killed for absolutely no reason for just burning their supper or something like that. Um, And I wonder how many of listening to Jesus on the Mount that day speaking were guilty of some of these horrible crimes themselves maybe several of these sinful acts, and yet because of God's mercy had now experienced overwhelming gratitude as his new forgiven follower, his disciple, and ever thankful for his love and grace as he sat with new brothers and sisters listening to Jesus speak on the Mount that day. Oh, but our society in 2019 is progressive, right? Certainly euthanasia, abortion, population control, wars, and genocide are signs of a progressive society. Um, we can justify so much with technology, science, and knowledge, can't we? Um, we can justify all kinds of things. Today's culture of death, in particular, is conveniently rationalized and justified on the basis of economics, probably primarily, um, convenience, empathy for the suffering, um, as mercy for the sick and elderly and disadvantaged and disabled, or simply unprepared people. And. Uh, any honest investigation that goes to the root of such acts of mercy actually reveal the ugly reasons and selfish motives of people. Sadly, we see such behaviors as the default inclinations and attitudes of human nature throughout all of recorded human history. Evidence of innumerable merciless acts are abundant in history and undeniable. In theology, it is referred to as human depravity but god knew the hearts of men and women that they were only evil continually lacking mercy so he sent his own son to demonstrate divine mercy jesus god in the flesh performed acts of mercy through his public ministry his countless acts of mercy contrasted just how merciless sinful people could be certainly these people would undoubtedly have performed quote unquote good uh, and even apparently very good acts yet they repeatedly and viciously sought opportunities to kill him they had a spiritual heart problem their motives were selfish and evil you see his mercy made the so-called righteous religious leaders look bad really really bad and by showing the true condition of their hearts jesus great acts of mercy actually resulted in his crucifixion on a roman cross And the totalitarian Roman leaders and the self-righteous Jewish uh, religious leaders conspired together to kill this man to show their mercy to the people by ridding uh, their society of this troublemaker. How simultaneously ironic and horrific this is. Um, Recall the first four beatitudes where God provides the kingdom, comfort, the earth, satisfaction, and all that goes with them. Uh, These are divine blessings to those who truly know and obey him. And now he speaks of something called mercy. In the Old Testament, we often read of God's character as consisting of loving-kindness and steadfast love, which describes his compassion that, that's in action, compassion in action. Lamentations, um, chapter three verse 22 says, "The Lord's loving-kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail." Think of how this contrasts with today's virtue signaling. We hear about this in the news all the time, the social media stuff that's going on, or or social justice stuff that's going on. Companies are doing virtue signaling with new types of commercials and all kinds of um, nonsensical, immoral things. And it is nothing more than detached sentiment and feigned pity from false and guilty consciences which attempt to impress others. It doesn't compare, and also to get more money in the, in the bank accounts of these companies, um, it doesn't compare to genuine compassion, selflessness, love, and concern for others. Jesus lived as a human on earth to demonstrate these attributes and, and empowers those he redeems to prove that those who follow him are characterized as those who give instead of take, help people instead of only acting concerned, and are selfless instead of selfish. Human nature is inclined to ultimately and always be driven by selfish ambitions. Uh, What's-in-it-for-me attitude is almost always a universal default, but a genuinely merciful heart is a characteristic which Jesus describes of those who are citizens of the kingdom, of those who have had a spiritual heart transplant. Recall from Ezekiel 36, chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." Way back then, um, through Ezekiel, God was trying to tell us that we had a heart problem, a sin problem, and he was telling us that he was going to do something about it. And thank God that he, through Jesus, is, has given us the ability to have a new heart. So what is mercy? Uh, simply stated is meeting people's needs. And I know there was something on WhatsApp last night. I think it was Chelsea uh, that about the downtown thing, and uh, I was um, overwhelmed just just thinking of our church family's attitudes for the uh, the sex trade and the homeless and that. And and this, you know, this is this is where it's at. This is what is mercy. Mercy, simply stated, is meeting people's needs. And that's with the backpack thing and all the other things we're gonna do at Christmas. Is 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 exactly what God requires of us. It is one thing to feel sympathetic, but another thing to actually show compassion. A genuinely merciful person is someone who, filled with the love of God who practically demonstrates how to help others, such that we now not only recognize and are moved by the many needs around us, but are moved to meet those needs. One commentator says it well when stating, Nothing Proves that we have been forgiven better than our own readiness to display forgiveness in God's mercy, in showing God's mercy. So does our lifestyle actually demonstrate mercy? We read in Luke 6:38: uh, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. MacArthur offers uh interesting insight in his commentary when he notes the following and i quote mercy is the integral yeah sorry mercy is integral to god's redemptive work for man from the time of the fall man has had no way back to god except through his merciful grace it is not surprising therefore that the new testament and the greek old testament Septuagint have various forms of the greek verb um, Aleo, which is to have mercy, um, and it's used some 500 times. So therefore, mercy is fundamental to God's character and the gospel of Christ, and as those who have yielded to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it will be a fundamental part of our new nature, being lived out in day-to-day life. So Jesus taught and demonstrated what genuine mercy ought to look like in many ways. And a few of the obvious ones are, he feeds the hungry physically and then spiritually. He healed the sick and even raised those who had died from their illness. He welcomed all to come to him for forgiveness. He defended the poor. He spent his time and energy ministering to people who were outcasts. And he taught forgiveness even forgiving sins. There's an interesting pattern among these related concepts that we've been talking about and how they flow from God's character. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us that everything we receive from God begins with and flows from His love. His love is a starting point for everything. Um, the first concept is that mercy flows from love. In Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Love is supreme over everything. Uh, Recall 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter uh, that was often read at weddings, um, which describes the power and supremacy of love love exists even in the absence of needs to be met or wrongs to be forgiven love is this eternal characteristic of God that is there regardless of any circumstance situation Um, but mercy is related to forgiveness but isn't the same forgiveness actually flows from mercy forgiveness implies wrongdoing which necessitates reconciliation but mercy is provided by God, not only when we have sinned against Him, but it is also given to us even when we have not committed any offenses. God's mercy goes f- beyond forgiving sin. He meets needs when we are helpless and without strength. God's mercy and compassion does not cease. One of my favorite verses is Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and it says... He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Mercy is action due to a need. And where trouble arises, it often requires relief, whereas love is action due to affection. So mercy is action due to need, love is action due to affection. And is acceptable at all times. Love is acceptable, of course, at all times, even when there is no need for mercy. And the third concept was, is that grace flows from love. Mercy relates to pain and suffering where there's a need, uh, which is often a result of sin, but grace deals with sin itself, offering pardon for the sin. Mercy often has a negative connotation in the sense that it seeks to relieve symptoms such as pain or punishment, but grace has a positive connotation in the sense that it provides pardon for offenses and removes guilt, and provides a cure. With both mercy and grace flowing from love, we see not only the consequence of sin being dealt with, but also sin itself being dealt with. On a related note, what is justice? It's getting what we deserve, whereas mercy lessens our punishment while seeking to help. These are often misunderstood concepts. How can a God who is good, this is a classic statement people give all the time, how can a God who is good and truly just let any wrongs, any sins go unpunished? Wouldn't doing so negate his justice and compromise his character. But in reality, God always punishes sin when he shows mercy. Not doing so would certainly negate his justice. So a very real danger, especially today more than ever, is the problem of a false mercy this is a belief that it is unloving or unkind to hold people responsible for their sins and this is a massive thing right now with our social justice chaos that's going on in our society we can't be unloving or unkind by telling anyone that their behavior is sinful Um, well god says otherwise Uh, the current evil word of today's culture seems to be responsibility it's almost like a new four-letter word except with a lot of extra letters like people don't want to take responsibility for themselves and for their actions and their and their beliefs and their uh treatment of others um to leave sin unchecked and the sinner in their sin by overlooking minimizing or dismissing it is actually unloving unmerciful and unjust ignoring sin denies truth God's truth Uh, where genuine mercy exists so does truth because they always go together With any act of mercy someone pays a price that someone may be you or i here on earth but it ultimately points to the infinite price god paid for our redemption in order to receive authentic mercy from god there is something required of us it is acknowledgement of sin which only comes by way of a thing called repentance we have to acknowledge that we have sinned that we are sinners and that we're helpless and that's repentance Um, If we seek God's mercy apart from repentance, we will only obtain a false hope, a false sense of security. Um, God's judgment on any and all of our sin is always without mercy. There is no other way because God is holy and just. Not turning from sin to Christ is to personally face judgment for it on your own and that is a terrifying proposition. So we learned that we can't overlook sin, excuse sin, dismiss sin, be good enough, do good enough things to please or appease God to obtain his forgiveness. We must come to God on his own terms, not our terms. Sin is actually so serious that even just one tiny little sin requires a payment which costs an eternity to atone for if we're choosing to pay for it. Apart from God's judgment, or sorry apart from god's means of payment which is his judgment on christ through the cross god can't excuse sin ever but the gospel god's good news tells us of his remedy which comes by a sacrifice that can and does pay for sin jesus sacrifice god's son is sitting on this hillside speaking of his father's mercy to a group of followers who until then understood all too well the mercilessness of the romans rulers that were ruling over them in the world at that time paul later wrote a letter to the romans and in romans chapter 1 verses 29 to 31 states they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanders haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless wow this is really bad news for us isn't it um humanity in general so the some key points here um so where does mercy come from mercy is mercy that is authentic and pure has only one source it is a gift from god that cannot be experienced apart from being recreated by god through his salvation by his grace through faith This alone is how we can meet the requirements of the first four beatitudes. Only by God's Spirit can we know poverty of spirit, mourn over sin, become meek, desire to obey Him, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. For His righteousness, that is. The the natural state of men and women is not ever inclined to be this way, and it is not repentant, humble, surrendered, or holy. That's not our default position at all. Yet there are many claiming to know God today who do not desire to be righteous or to live righteously according to God's terms. That's a serious problem. And in fact, it's probably one of the most serious problems that we face in the church today. People who want to look like a Christian, call themselves a Christian, act like a Christian, but have nothing inside that would speak of them actually being um, born again, being saved, being a believer, being a Christian. Um. We hear the word blessed a lot, usually in the context of feeling good or honored or recognized because of something someone has done for us or to us that is kind and loving, that benefits us, which is great, that we are truly blessed in that sense but, um, by what they've done, but we are truly blessed in the ultimate sense when we show mercy to others which is only possible through god's mercy to us experienced through his salvation his work of redeeming grace so mercy as a character trait is evidence of a redeemed life of a true follower of christ of a saved soul who loves god who loves as god does with a character only possible through his divine grace being a new creature receiving mercy from god for our debt which we could never repay, necessitates showing mercy to others out of sheer gratitude to him alone, and love for the precious souls in our lives that desperately need this same mercy, to experience the same mercy, um, and experience a divine love that produces mercy, forgiveness and grace in themselves. Uh, so let's put feet to our faith and not be hypocritical. Um, how do we practice mercy? And I know this is a question many of you have. Um, There are five fundamental ways, and there's there's possibly more, but I'm gonna list five fundamental ways to demonstrate mercy. The first is by giving. Most obviously we practice it by feeding the hungry, visiting the sick and imprisoned, providing for the poor and destitute. Even though we live in an affluent country near a large population that is often voted the best, one of the best places on earth to live in the Toronto, greater Toronto region, there is so much need around us. Um, I know that our church family at Fellowship Oshawa is passionate and has a huge heart for this practical ministry to our community. We saw it yesterday when people were were going out um, on the streets, and and my heart is grateful beyond words. Uh, As we leaders recognize this, uh, we thank God for it, we celebrate it, and we will always continue to encourage it. Um, number two would be to demonstrate genuine compassion by having attitudes which are filled with gratitude love mercy and forgiveness our actions are a direct result of our beliefs and if our beliefs are based on the truth of god's word we will have attitudes that result in the fruits of the spirit described in galatians five, twenty-three, to or 22 to 23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Number three would be by genuinely forgiving others. Make no no mistake, forgiveness can be really, really tough. I'm not naive and unaware of some of the difficult and truly extreme experiences that many of you have suffered in your life. Uh, Not everybody has a uh, picture-perfect life. Um, I do not wish to minimize that. Uh, and yet, here we have the knowledge that God actually understands like none other. And Jesus Christ himself has experienced things not only on a physical, but on an emotional and a spiritual level uh, that we cannot even comprehend. While being crucified on a cross, Jesus, who had experienced all this, and he, he who had not committed even one sin, is being put to death, and he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Ultimate statement of mercy. If you have personally experienced forgiveness from God through trusting Christ for your salvation that he accomplished by his life, death, and resurrection, then you are now divinely capable of providing genuine forgiveness to anyone for anything you have experienced. And it might not be easy whatsoever but this doesn't mean you you don't still hurt or you somehow forget what's happened but it removes a heavy burden and gives it to God to carry and he assures us that he will judge all sin and he'll do it righteously this can be the very difficult uh, this can be very difficult but apart from Christ it is impossible only because of, of Christ can we even forgive anyone of anything um By praying for others, especially the spiritually lost, is point number four. I love how so many of you pray for, well, pretty much everything, Um, praise God. It is such a blessing and encouragement to see how our church family understands the importance and power of prayer. When various people are discussing getting together to pray or sharing prayer requests on WhatsApp, it is a joy to experience and benefit from the often unseen work of God's kingdom that happens in living rooms, and in a circle of chairs and in a spontaneous huddle of prayer and it's genuine prayer it's not the go through your motions kind of prayer but it's genuine and heartfelt prayer that believes in the god who actually hears and answers prayers and many if not most of us actually struggle with prayer and we need to be intentional about working at it but that is not why god's uh, design is a body of believers that he's equipped with different gifts but of those gifts, sorry, but, sorry, I'll just, many, if not most of us struggle with prayer, and we need to be intentional about working at it, but that is not why God's design is a body of believers, that he's equipped with different gifts, but one of those gifts is not prayer. Thankfully, can you imagine if prayer was a spiritual gift? Thank God that is not a spiritual gift. We would all have to go to so-and-so with our prayers and get them to pray them for us and thank thank God it's not a spiritual gift thank God that we have responsibility each and every one of us to pray um and we have direct communication with God each one of us that's a believer um, with the God of all creation who has accomplished our redemption and the final point point number five is by sharing the gospel um, here's another fundamental practice of those who are followers of Christ being intentional about the gospel message by sharing the truths and hope of god's mercy and grace to sinners this is another wonderful blessing and encouragement of being part of this amazing church family so so many of you are passionate about the gospel and love those who are unbelieving lost struggling needy and and needing that which is the only cure for their brokenness their sin their sorrow and their hopelessness which is the gospel uh, what an encouragement to hear people asking each other to share to go share the gospel in the community let's go to the mall let's go to the park and share the gospel and to hear how they're sharing it with coworkers or family or friends just passion for the lost and and wanting to deliver the good news to them uh, Jesus command in Matthew 28 which we all know quite well is to go into all the world and to make disciples and it is a great responsibility and it's an honor And it's a privilege with the immense blessing of seeing other precious souls come to know God's mercy and forgiveness and to experience his salvation and what it means to truly know God. And as a result, to really live life as it was intended to be lived in our journey here, experiencing communion with God himself and knowing that we have hope and purpose now and in eternity because because we have been shown God's mercy. That concludes my um, summary of that little short verse. (laughs) I thank God for uh, good commentators that had lots of uh, things to feed my mind this week. Um, And I thank God for uh, how he's taught me so much just from studying this, and I hope you benefit a little bit too.